welcome to the latest episode of the Gary Anderson F1 show, brought to you by The Race. Today, we're going to be asking why are F1 cars so massive, and can anything be done to reverse the trend for Grand Prix machines getting bigger and heavier? As always, I'm Ed Straw, and here is the man you've all been waiting for, former Jordan and Jaguar Technical Director Gary Anderson. Uh, Gary, how's life in isolation? I I'm, I'm presume you have resorted to lashing up a single-seater in your garage to pass the time or some such. Uh, well, not quite, no. I've, I've um, lashed up what they call a, a trug for to grow some vegetables in. My wife's been chasing me to do something for her to grow vegetables. So it's a bit like Noah's art, really. But um, yeah, it's been good. Um, just just uh, doing doing things around the house, basically. A lot of stuff to do. So I've uh, been putting it off for years. So I might as well get it done now. So yes, yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's getting a bit lonely here and there, but um, not many people out and about. So uh walk the dog now and again and, and keep myself busy that way. Yeah, well, it's good to know your your mechanical skills are going into some kind of contraptions. That's uh, that that's good to hear. Um, well, what we're going to do now in these podcasts is just before we get into the main topic, which uh, which is going to be about uh, about the, the the big and heavy cars, is just to throw in a, one quick listener question as a as a starting point. Uh, we've got one from uh, from Mark Neeson, who's uh, obviously from the same part of the, the world as you, who says from your formative days in Coleraine, he says he's just up the road. I was delighted that a local man achieved at the highest level. So, what were those early Coleraine growing up ambitions, motivations? So, I guess you perhaps should set the scene for those who who uh, don't know much about the the Coleraine area and exactly where you were. Well, yeah, I was born in the north of Ireland, um, near the Giants' Causeway, really, Port Rush, Port Stewart, that area. So, up and up near the coast. Um, I mean, really, I suppose I left school as soon as I could. I hated school. Teachers hated me even more, I think, but uh, I, I didn't like them either. So I got out of there and, and I started working various little you know jobs that I could find. Um, like the interestingly, my first job was working at uh, fixing washing machines, um, vacuum cleaners, that sort of stuff. Not so much fixing them, but you know, sort of selling them and fixing them. And I can remember I was earning two pounds ten shillings a week. Um, and the boss gave me uh, an extra half a crown, two pounds twelve and sixpence a week, if I would cut his lawn on a Saturday afternoon. So it was a five and a half day week, two pound two pound ten shillings, and uh, two and sixpence in for cutting his lawn in the in the afternoon. So big money, but I was only sixteen at the time, so it was uh, it was good. Um, my my cousin, a guy called Freddie Heaney, was a pretty good driver at the time in Ireland. He was uh, he racing minis, uh, and my brother in law, my sister's husband Jim Scott, was racing minis as well. And they both dabbled a little bit in motorbikes, uh, or uh, Jim dabbled a little bit in motorbikes as well, uh, along with a guy called Alfie Mayers. And I used to sort of help around a bit with those three, um, just basically, but not really any any great ambition to get involved in motorsport. Um, but you just, you know, you learn the, the, the tricks of the trade a little bit. You've got to get things done, um, which was good. But I never really, you know, the light never sort of came on until I came to England in 1972. I was, I was working in Ireland at the in a chipboard factory where they made um, chipboard for furniture and stuff like that. And uh, one of my one of the jobs I did there actually was quite good. I, I sort of created this machine to put felt onto chipboard so you could use it for shed roofs. And it was it was good because I had this big gas blow lamp thing and you know lots of flames and smell of tar burning and stuff. But it worked quite well. Um, and then I had a bit of an accident there and nearly got nearly nearly um, got crushed. So I decided to come to England. Um, I was inside a press and the press head started moving. But uh, anyway, I got out of there and uh, decided to come to England, and that's when the sort of light switch went on. I discovered motor racing through um, meeting a couple of people and uh, getting a job in the end at the at the racing school at Browns Hatch, 
MRS, which was quite good for me. And then suddenly, you know, there was racing going on at Brands Hatch, and you spoke to these guys, and they were actually earning some money. And I thought, oh, that sounds okay. So uh, doors opened ready for me. I, I suppose I got a chance to do a job in Brabham's and, and took it. And from there on in, I tried to learn and better myself, as you do. If, you, if you're interested, you try and do that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what, what I've done. Um, it's nice to be, you know, from Coleraine and, and uh, see some of the people back there. And, and it's nice that they're sort of proud of what I did as well. So, yeah, never give up. Just keep fighting because that's all you, all you can do. Well, let's move on to uh, to our main uh, our main event, as it were. I, I should say, if anyone wants to send in a question, uh, you can find Gary uh, on Twitter at Gary Anderson F1 or you can tweet at, at We Are The Race or even to myself at Edstrow F1 and we can uh, put that question into consideration for the opening question in, uh, in Gary's podcast. So, yeah. Formula One cars today, Gary, they're two metres wide, more than five metres long, 746 kilos, including drivers. So they're massive, heavy machines by the standards of a Grand Prix car, something the drivers keep complaining about as well. So how how have we got to this? Well, it's lots and lots of reasons, I suppose. The main thing lately has been because of the the, uh, implementing this um, power unit with all the stuff that goes with it. It's been difficult, really, because it's you know it's 150 kilograms roughly. I think probably the whole package. And um, when you go back to, I suppose, let's say 1999, with uh, with the little Cosworth engine that was built for the Stewart, um, it weighed just under 100 kilograms. They were you know very proud of it being 98 kilograms. I think it was. So there's 50 kilograms just come in there through this through the power unit itself. Um, a lot of safety changes on the cars. You know, there's lots more tethers holding the wheels on and chassis impact resistance and nose crash tests and all that sort of stuff. Just it just keeps on mounting up. But I um I think it, you know if it's if it's if it's too heavy or too easy, it takes away the challenge. Um, and I think that you know we need to look back a little bit because it's, there's got to be a way to achieve a happy medium because the cars, although they're very very quick. To the driver, they're heavy and cumbersome. You know, we talk about this: ten kilograms of fuel is worth three tenths of a second on average around a, a given track. Um, you know, the driver feels ten kilograms of fuel. You know, Giancarlo Fisichella used to be incredible. You know, he he would respond to this, the lightest change, five kilograms taken out of the car of fuel, and and he would respond to that. You know, you see his eyes light up because the car just felt that little bit more nimble. Um, and and the, the drivers, you know, the good good guys are are pushing to the limit on these sort of things, and it's sad to see them in this big heavy tank that basically it's got lots of power, it's got lots of grip, but it doesn't it just doesn't have that you know the get up and go and the braking efficiency. Now all of that, if the cars were lighter, would probably lead to um, potentially even worse racing. But um, so but there has to be a happy medium somewhere along the line. So I think. Someone needs to be done about it, and it is more of a challenge for the teams to achieve those the lighter weights. But you know, maybe the time's right to, to have a go at it. Just to pick up on the power unit weight, that one hundred and fifty kilo figure you mentioned is for the new rules. Currently, it's one four five. But the the fact that it's so hard to keep track of these little rises everywhere tells how many of these small increases there are across the whole car. Uh, but the size and weight of the car does make a big difference to the spectacle. If you go back to two thousand and nine, the last year before refueling was banned, and five years before the V six hybrid turbos came in, you could see that sharpness of the car on turn and it was visibly more on edge more nimble whereas now despite being no easier to drive they just look more unwieldy and and lazier it's easy to conclude that it's only the drivers who feel it but it does have a real impact on the fans and the whole experience of watching a grand prix car as well doesn't it 
Well, yeah, it does. I mean, things go hand in hand. Whenever you get the, the thing to be that weight, you know, the, the weight of the current cars, you, you need more power then. So suddenly it's a spiral and you need better braking efficiency. And again, that, you know, it just goes round and round in a circle. As the car gets heavier, you need better brakes. You need more tyre to stop that weight. You need bigger tyres to get the traction. Um, and you need more power to give you that to give you that traction or that acceleration. So, you know, back in if you go back to the sort of late nineties, whenever they um, you had the driver in the car at six hundred kilograms, we we were building cars then with fifty kilograms of ballast underneath them. So, you know, if you take away the average driver weight of seventy five kilograms, and and another fifty for the, the weight we were doing, you were, you were building cars at like four seventy five, um, a Formula One car complete at four hundred seventy five kilograms putting 50 kilograms of ballast underneath the car so you can move it around to get the weight distribution better and uh, get the center of gravity lower. So, and that wasn't that difficult. You know, it wasn't that easy, but it wasn't that difficult. You had to be conscious of everything. So if you take the car from then, and, and now people are complaining about the um, the weight of the car, we're, we're talking about going in, uh, you know, sort of late 90s at 475 up to 746. So... That's the change that you're talking about because teams still struggle to make the car to the weight limit now. So there's a, there's a big, big change in it, to be honest. And it's um, you know, all that energy in an accident as well it has to be you know dissipated somehow. So it's not got better because of the, the extra weight. It's just got heavier. So you'd like to make the car smaller and lighter, but as always, the devil is in the detail. As well as heavier power units, a lot of the weight gain has happened because of the addition of safety measures, the halo, the common side impact structure, wheel tethers. So how practical is it to achieve the same without compromising safety? Is, is it about a clean sheet of paper approach? Well, it's getting close to it, but you know, if you look at the cars, the way they get longer, I mean, we're talking here about, about change, and obviously at the minute with all this situation that we're... we're um, going through change is, is expensive and I don't think change should happen so we're just yeah, we're just talking hypothetically um, you know the, the cars have got longer as you say the wheelbase is now you know stupid length 3.5 meters or something um, whereas you know way back then it was three meters plus a little bit maybe maybe 3.1 if you built a long car 3.05 was a number that sticks in my head a bit um, so it's it, you could sort of bring down the weight limit by just saying okay the maximum length of the car is something 3.3.2 meters and, and suddenly you take a 300 uh, 300 millimeter 30 centimeter slice out of the car somewhere along the line well that just that will just be weight because the longer you make it obviously the stiffer everything has to be as well to get the, the stiffness in the car so you could do lots and lots of things to bring the weight down um you know the, the fact that we've We've gone to a two-meter-wide car from 1800. I thought whenever we went for these wider tires, we'd actually keep the overall width of the car similar, but and just make the, the bigger tires go inboard, which would increase the drag a little bit, which would mean that you would uh, end up, you know, less downforce because of the inboard end of the inboard side of the wheel affecting the airflow more. So that would be narrower as well, which in, in reality makes the tracks wider, potentially more overtaken. Um, so there's lots and lots of things that basically I think could be done. But again, it, it needs a whole a whole philosophy change to the weight and, and the reasons for it, to be honest. Because I think, you know, with 150 kilogram for the par unit, that's, you know, that, that shows that basically anything you do that uses um, recuperable energy is very tough to do within a weight, a weight limit. You know, the engine itself on a Formula One car now, the V6 engine, um, even with a turbo on it, is probably not much more than the, than the 100 kilograms that I'm talking about in the past. 
So it's, uh, it, it's, it's unfortunately showing that if you go electric, you got a lot of weight coming along. And then because of that, you need more, more power and all that sort of stuff. So it would be a philosophy change to change that now, and it's not the right time by any means. Absolutely not. This is a time for caution. Uh, so we're talking about the broader long-term picture here. The new regulations, though, whenever they come in, does put the minimum weight up to 775 kilos, including driver. So that's another increase of 29 kilos. Again, there's reasons for it, including common parts that won't be as light as the teams would make them in-house. But the drivers are keen to keep pushing the weight and size argument to try and stop any more creeping gains. I mean, these cars are they're still stunningly quick. But you can see why they're keen to draw a line in the sand, because F1 cars are getting to become a crazy weight. It is getting up to crazy weights. And as I said, it just keeps on increasing. And the, the thing is, you know, the cars they can build stuff. Teams can build stuff down lighter than what it is now. And it could be a one-type a one supply. I mean, the, the MGUH or the MGUK or whatever could be one unit. And, and you know, you take the average of two teams or something or two manufacturers and see what they've got and then manufacture something that, at that same sort of level there it, it, you can just let it spiral and just get out of control because there'll be something else coming safety wise or whatever there'll be something else lined up to come along to to make things easier or better or simpler or cheaper or whatever and that will add another five kilograms and so it'll keep on going and you know we're not far we're not going to be far away from 800 kilograms which is you know, if you just take the, the weight, as I say, back in the late 90s of 600 kilograms, that's 200 kilograms more. It's 33% of what the weight was then. Add it on again. Um, and that's, you know, that that's not good for what we're trying to do because Formula One should be the pinnacle. It should be really tough to achieve that, the weight of the car. Um, but as I say, it's it's spiraled out of, out of control. Whenever... Um, Max Mosley was in charge of the FIA. His whole philosophy at that time was make the cars lighter because less energy in an accident. Um, and suddenly it's, it's gone completely the other way. It's like, a, you know, as I say, the light switch chain has gone off. Um, now it's make the cars heavier and they'll be safer in an accident. There's a, there's a compromise in there somewhere, I think. Um, but whereas I, I don't really know, as I say, the big thing right now is it's, we've got to survive somehow. Um, Formula One's got to survive. It's, it's definitely not looking great for it at the moment. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get through this um, and get out the other end, and then think about it. But the teams will need a good two or three years of stability before they can sort of recoup their losses and, and get themselves back up and, and running to a level where they're they're starting to disagree with each other again. Because at the minute we seem to be agreeing too much with each other about things. They need to start disagreeing um, before we know we've got through this uh, this phase. Going back to the start for you in F1, I think the first Grand Prix car you worked on would have been the Brabham BT37? Um, yes, yes, Brabham BT37 and the 42. So how does that compare to a modern car? Obviously it's very different, even down to features like the rule that was brought in to put the driver's feet behind the front axle line, which I don't think anyone would argue against. But if you see a car of that era without its bodywork, there's not much to them, is there? No, there was there was very little to them. Like to just going back to an old story, whenever I did start in Formula One, as as most people, the, the story about me getting my first job with Brabham was Bernie Eccleston asked me to put a, a DFV in the back of a transit van, uh, which is a V8 Formula One engine of the time, and I lifted it into the back of this van. But um, that was just one job. But the thing about the cars then in 1973, um, they were sort of 575 kilograms. And we obviously used to work on them at night. And the one thing you used to have to do is put the front of the car up on a stand 
and drain the fuel out, let the fuel all run to the back of the fuel tank and, and let the fuel um, drain the fuel out, see what you know, fuel you see you had during the day. And I was able to do that on my own, lift the front of the car up and put it on the stand. So just as well I'm not working in Formula 1 right now because I didn't think I could make that anymore. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just the little challenges that come up at times. And, uh, you know, two mechanics on a car, you, you had to be able to do things like that on your own. But as I say, with a with weight limit at 5.75, I could lift the front of the car up and put a stand underneath it to get the fuel out of it. So the thing that changes so much is, is the safety, obviously. You know, whenever carbon fibre came in, it was a great thing. It replaced a, you know, an aluminium panelled honeycomb Formula One car. Um, and it, it increased its stiffness. And everybody was a bit shocked about the strength of it because they weren't, they weren't quite sure what really would, the outcome of this stuff would be. Um, but it is, you know, as I think John Watson had his first major accident, I think at Monza, whenever it broke the engine off the back of a McLaren, I think at the chicane. Or, and, um, you know, I think that showed that the, the chassis, the survival cell of the chassis was, was very, very good. But it's, um, it's always been a difficult thing as to whether you want more strength, more stiffness. Um, you can definitely improve on everything on, on what an aluminium chassis would be. But at the end of the day, you know, the team needs to decide what it wants out of that extra material. Um, and for a long time, uh, you know, it, it wasn't used that way. It was used for stiffness. And if you take Martin Donnelly's accident in 1990 at, at um, Jerez, you know, it was one of those sort of accidents where the car just sort of broke up, basically, because you could use carbon fiber that, you know, basically it was like glass. You know, you smack it and it just explode. And basically the car broke up because that's what they were doing. Um, and other people were using a more of a you know more of a compromise. They weren't getting the stiffness out of the car because they're a bit more shifty oriented. So you had to make your own decisions then. And then after Ayrton Senna's accident, the FIA stepped in and started to define the materials and the modulus of material you could use one thing or another. And then that's whenever the, the the weight started to creep on to the cars a little bit here and there, just because of extra thickness and panels and all extra crash tests and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, you can't go backwards because the cars need to be safe, but they do, you know, they do give a false sense of security to some of the drivers. And I think that's why the young drivers nowadays are able to perform so well because, you know, they're, they're, they know that if you go off and have an accident in one of these cars, you're probably going to be all right. You know, 99% chance you're going to be all right. Whereas in the days when I started in 1973 or something, you know, you were getting two, three, and four deaths a, a season. Uh, the, when you had a big accident in one of those cars, you, you didn't walk away from it. That was the problem. So obviously something had to be done. Um, and, and obviously through the years, that's, 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 that's 50 years now nearly. So that's the direction it took. Uh, material changes, that happens all the time. But also the weight came with it. And then you know the complexity of the, of the power unit came with it. And suddenly, you're, you know, as I say, the big problem is stopping the spiral. Well, the easy way to do it would just be to throw out the hybrid engines, but there is a real need for F1 to be looking towards the future with engine tech. That's what makes this topic so fascinating. Everyone would agree the cars should be lighter and smaller, but how do you do that without compromising too much in other areas is enormously complicated. Well, the thing with Formula 1 at the minute is it's, it's gone one direction um, with the hybrid engine power unit, and it's a great direction, don't get me wrong. But, you know, the, the thing we're throwing away is all the braking energy from the front axle of the car. Nobody's, nobody's harnessing that at all. Um, you know, if you were going to harness that, that's a, that's a chassis design unit. 
it can be harvested very, very simply. It, it all exists, basically, to, to harvest that energy during braking. Um, so for me, you know, we've got a big spend on, on doing what we're doing with the MGUH. Um, you need the MGUK or you need something to drive the car, but you could harvest a huge amount more energy from the front axle during braking and you'd have a better energy pack for the um, for the car and more 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 power for longer out of it than what we're doing at the moment. So we've gone, you know, my book is we've gone the complicated way of doing it. And that complicated way adds adds more more weight to the car as well. So you know you need the turbocharger because the MGUH is part of that. Um, and then because you need the turbocharger, you need the intercooler. So you need all that stuff because you've gone a certain direction. Now you could have what we had before, which is a normally aspirated engine with a MGUK on it, um, just to pick up engine braking as such, uh, and to obviously drive the engine. And you can have um, some regeneration from the front axle for turn braking to charge up your battery pack. So you could do away with a hell of a lot of complication. You could do away with the turbo and all that stuff. So you could get rid of a lot of weight and have a, have a, a more more power available to you um, from the front axle. So there's better ways of doing what we're doing, but it, it won't be the in the power unit completely, it'll be spread across the chassis, which I think would be a good idea as well. The weight efficiency is probably the way to think about it, just making sure every extra kilo is really justified. But then you get moves like the 18-inch wheel rims that are coming in that also have an impact. So perhaps weight and car size needs to be more on the mind when rules are being formulated, hence the GPDA's desire to keep reminding everyone of the problem. Well, you have to have a plan. I think the plan needs to be put down of where they're trying to get to because some of this stuff is a bit sort of knee-jerk reaction to, to a situation. So, you know, the plan should be at the moment, if there has to be anything done, the, you know, the weight should not be able to go up. You have to find it some other way. You have to find it some, some way within the car that you can take something away to add something else on. Uh, and again, the, the wheelbase is a typical example. We are going to have new cars hopefully um, in either uh, 22 or 23 a completely different uh, package so f the first thing you would do with that is make sure you look at it and, and take the weight into account if it's going to have the same power unit and all that stuff is going to be exactly the same then to as I say to put a maximum wheelbase in the car would be something to do you know some some direction to try and chop the weight down a bit um, so you, you would have a plan building a new car. The new car, you know, that, that car in itself, the, the pictures I saw, it should be able to be built as a lighter car. There's less complication on it. Um, so it should be able to be built as a lighter car. But just simple things like the front wing width, you know, the, the wider it is, we have it at the minute, the outside of the front tires, the wider it is, the heavier it has to be because it has to be a structural component. Um, you know, the, the, the center part of that, those wings, the machining, this five-axis titanium machine component with all those mounts in it, comes out from one aerodynamic profile to, to probably two or three sections coming out of the sides of it where all those carbon fibre flaps and that bond onto it. So it's a massively complicated piece of kit. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure it doesn't have to be, you know, because whenever it was invented or created to help with uh, overtaking that centre section of the front wing, it didn't have to do anything. So you could sort of open that area up a little bit, and I'm sure you could get weight down. Uh, overall width, just make it 100 mil an hour. Same for everybody. It doesn't really matter. So it doesn't seem to have... The, the thought pattern doesn't seem to go in the direction 
that of all the talk that we hear, um, and until those two join up somehow, then I think you'll always just get this escalation. And we mustn't forget there's also an impact on the tyre. If you're carrying 105 kilos fuel for the race, at the start you'll be over 850 kilos. That's a huge amount to be putting onto the road through those tyres. So while people criticise Pirelli, it's no surprise the drivers have to take it easy in those conditions. It is, and you know, again, that's the spiral that you get into because then the tyres will weigh a little bit more because the construction has to be a little bit beefier, stronger, stiffer, whatever you like to call it. Um, so, you know, you get that spiral as well in the tyres. I remember whenever we went from uh, Bridgestone tyres to, to, the, to the Michelin tyre, the tyres, each tyre was like one and a half kilograms heavier, Michelin tyre was than the Bridgestone. Um, and, you know, we all screamed and shouted about this, but at the end of the day, because of the way their tyres worked, they needed the weight in it and, and the tyre performance was good. So you have to give up something. But you can have such a big change on, on, on tires. As I say, that one and a half kilograms per tire, six kilograms for the car, just instantly by changing a tire manufacturer. Um, and as long, as long as the performance comes out of it, it's okay. Um, but if it doesn't come out of it, then you're just, you're just wasting your time, to be honest. So I think you need to be careful. As I say, it's a spiral. The cars get heavier, the tires need to be stiffer, they need to be heavier, they need more structure. So then they, they get heavier, then they need to be heavier again, and so on and so forth. So it's, as I say, you have to have a, a philosophy within the whole package somewhere along the line that says X amount. I don't know what it is right now, but it, it probably could be set at 750 kilograms or maybe even just give it a kick at 700 kilograms and say, right, we're not doing these new regulations until 2023. My clock's just going off. That shows I'm at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's appropriate enough because we're getting towards the end of the podcast, so yeah. it probably means we've gone on for too long. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, a bit of a philosophy. So we are going to have these new regulations and hopefully the cars will get built for 2023. And that could be part of it now. Right, we've got time now to look at this. What do we need to get rid of? What do we need to change? What can we change? We want the cars to weigh no more than 700 kilograms instead of going up to 775 or even 750. Start Start simple, but... Give yourself the challenge and give yourself the opportunity in that time because the cars are going to be built and you might as well try to make the best of them. So there is an opportunity here to bring the weight down or start that, that go over the hump and start the slide downwards um, with the new cars for 2023. As a final point, to address this, do you think it could be solved with a simple regulation that just shortens and perhaps narrows the car and leaves it down to the teams to work it out? Create a global condition, if you like, in the rules to achieve the objective you want. Well, uh, yeah, for, for sure it'll work. The teams will always find the best solution possible. Um, that's what—that's really what I'm saying. As I say, these regulations have been put off now to 2022 or 2023, and I'm pretty sure it'll be 2023 in the end. Um, and you could just say at that point in time, right, well, the maximum wheelbase is, is, is three metres. You know, the front overhang, um, bring it down by, you know, 10%, 20% whatever. The rear overhang, bring it down by some percentage. You, you could very easily put stipulation in there just to, to make sure that people do what's use the best efficiency possible to achieve the goal of what their regulations allow. So you try and bring the weight limit. And, and also the fact, you know, the car is two metres wide. The car, everybody pushes that two metres wide because that is a performance advantage. Now, if they were 1,900 wide, you know, yes, they'd push the 1,900, but they would just tidy up that little bit. And the, the wheelbase and you know, the aspect ratio of the, of the width of the car and the wheelbase sort of do go a little bit hand in hand. Um, but you've got to try and stop somehow 
stop it just spiraling out of control, as I say. And, and 2023 is a big opportunity to try and drag something out of it. There is time to think about it sensibly. And you don't, they don't have to rush, you know. There's a lot of effort can go into it now because people aren't, you know, they're not actively involved in it anymore. So there is time for a good discussion to find out how you bring the weight of these cars down for 2023 by 25 kilograms minimum and 50 if possible. Um, you know, and it's all possible. For sure it's possible. Well, that's a sensible undertaking. And one of the vanishingly few benefits of the current terrible situation F1 is in is that it creates a little bit of extra time potentially to address some of these things, provided, of course, it doesn't create a rising cost. But as we heard a few minutes ago, the bell has tolled for this podcast. So thanks very much, Gary, for your insight into this tricky topic and how it can be tackled. Do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen for all sorts of things to read, including Gary Anderson's excellent look back at Jordan's sensational win in the 2003 Brazilian Grand Prix with Giancarlo Fisichella. And look out for our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10's Classic F1 Stories, the Race F1 Podcast, and also our new eSports podcast. So please join us next week for more from Gary Anderson. (laughs) 